Thank you, gentlemen. I am thankful for the life we have, not just life on earth, but eternal life uh, we have in Christ. Heavenly Father, as we come to the preaching of your word uh, this evening and uh, for the third time in uh, two Sundays, uh, back to Calvary and to observe and to learn from what was going on on that day and that event of crucifixion, I pray, Lord, that you'd bless in the preaching as we focus on uh, four additional uh, events that are taking place, uh, Lord, that we can learn from. And the thing, Lord, that I uh, see again and again is that regardless of the power of the political uh, arrangement of the day, uh, regardless of the corruption of the religious crowd, you were still in control in every single thing. And may we be encouraged by that as we go through the message tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Last Sunday morning, I preached on four miracles that took place at Calvary. Those get my attention because they just remind me just how much God is in control. Now, that's important because of what we see going on in our world today bothers us. It concerns us, and we wonder what in the world will happen to our country, to our nation. And as we read the Word of God, we're constantly reminded that God is in control. This morning, we looked at six additional events. There were observations around Calvary. And then this evening, I want us to see a transition period of events that took place right after the crucifixion. It was a time between the death of Christ and before they took his body from the cross on Calvary. My attention is so arrested by the attitudes and activities of the crucifixion and how they relate and compare to the attitudes and the actions toward Christ and the Word of God in our day. It's very interesting to observe from the religious to the political in this day of the crucifixion to our day and from those in education to those that are reporting in the media. Uh, folks, I believe with all of my heart the return of Christ is nigh. Uh, Jesus is coming soon, and we need to live our lives uh, in light of the fact that Christ is soon to return. We must be busy to get everyone we can ready for the coming of Christ. If you're hearing me tonight, if you're watching me tonight, you've never received Christ as Savior, uh, today is the day of salvation. Uh, you ought to put your faith and trust in Him uh, before this day is over. There are four events I want us to look at tonight. I believe they'll get your attention as they have mine. First of all, uh, we're going to look at the request of the Jews of Pilate. Second of all, we're going to look at testimonies that were given uh, just after the crucifixion. Third of all, we're going to look at the attention given to the women uh, that were at the crucifixion. What an encouragement to see a group of ladies uh, not only faithful in their commitment to Christ, but mentioned uh, and uh, many of them their names given in the Word of God. And then lastly, the reports of people and what they had just witnessed in the event of crucifixion. The first is the request of the Jews. Take your Bibles and go back to John 19 and look at verse number 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation, now preparation for the Passover, 
that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. For that Sabbath day was in a high day, uh, besought to Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken down. Let me give you a quick explanation here. Uh, it was uh, time for the, uh, for the Sabbath, and they didn't want any bodies uh, on a crucifixion cross. The law said those had to be taken down uh, before the Sabbath. But they were still alive. Uh, some of them would live even for days, two, three, four days in a time of crucifixion. And so uh, they asked permission that they could break the legs of Jesus and these two thieves so that they would not be able to push up with their feet on the spikes or the nails that held their feet in place and they were able to get another breath. And so they asked if they could break their legs so they would go ahead and die so they could take them from the cross and bury them before the Sabbath day came. Now I want you to remember that the Jews had rejected Jesus as being their king. And there is friction between the religious and the political uh, leadership of the day. Pilate uh, wanting to make fun of the Jews and make it hard on the Jews. He had the sign put over the cross, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. They had argued with Pilate on what to write on that sign. They asked Pilate to change it and make it read that he claimed to be the king of the Jews, but they wanted him to know that they had rejected his claims of being the Savior, of being the Christ, and certainly being their king. In fact, they had cried against Jesus that he should be crucified because he had violated separation of church and state. This gets my attention because they said, Jesus is going around saying uh, that you shouldn't pay your taxes. Now the opposite is true, as I pointed out this morning, but that's the accusation uh, that they made against Jesus. Now this crowd, here's what I want you to see. They continue in their spiritual hypocrisy, making a request of Pilate that the bodies be taken down because they wanted to celebrate this high and holy day of the Passover. Wink, wink, they didn't want to violate the law. They wanted to make sure they kept the law. And so they asked that the legs be broken of the crucified ones. What hatred, what ignorance, what arrogance and the ultimate of hypocrisy. They rejected the very Lamb of God and they said on with this now we have a feast, we have a holy day to, to, to celebrate. Now they understood the law. It's interesting how they want to keep the law that they want to keep. They don't want to recognize Jesus as the king. They don't want to recognize Jesus as the savior but they want to keep the law. You see, the law had stated that if a man had committed a sin worthy of death and he'd be put to death and hanged on a tree, or that's what they called a cross, his body would not remain all night on the tree. 
But they said, in any wise, bury him that day. And that's what Deuteronomy chapter 21 had taught them. They didn't want to be defiled so they could celebrate this big feast day. This is the day of preparation of the Passover. Now I want you to see as I magnify the hypocrisy of the religious of this day. How could these Jews celebrate their most holy time of the year when they were disobeying the law and defiling the land? The law was plain and it needed to be obeyed. So they went to Pilate and they requested that the legs be broken and the bodies be removed. And of course they had to ask this permission because the Jews were under the rule of Rome at the time. Hypocrisy. It's interesting that earlier in the day they had refused to go into Pilate's dwelling because they didn't want to defile their bodies. Look at uh, John 18, 28. Now I'm going to make application in just a moment that's important. John 18, 28, the Bible said, Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Now they care about this Passover. They didn't want to defile the body. But it didn't bother them that they were murdering an innocent person. They'd seen it. They heard Pilate himself say, I see no fault in this man. It didn't bother them to murder an innocent man. It didn't bother them that they were rejecting not just a person, not just the one that claimed to be Christ, but he was the Passover lamb that they had looked forward to coming all of these hundreds of years. It was John that was preaching that said as Jesus came to where they were, John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. But their religion, they said, we want to make sure we are not defiled. We want to do this thing right now. Let's get rid of these, these imposters. Let's get rid of these thieves out here. Just, just go ahead and take the club and just, just break their legs so they can't live anymore. And uh, you know what it was about? Their religion was all about them. Their behaviors were all about them. Their religious exercises weren't about worshiping God. But when you study the law, the law, the law is all about loving God. You see, every behavior, every sacrifice, every feast, every activity from the temple to their homes of sanctifying it and cleansing it from leaven, that was all a picture of worshiping God, but they had turned it all around to make it nothing about Christ, but make it everything about themselves. So many today have a personal religion that is convenient to them, and you hear it said all the time, I'm looking for a church that fits me. I'm looking for a church that we can fit into. Somebody ought to be saying, I'm looking for a church that preaches the truth. Amen. 
I'm looking for a church that proclaims Christ. I'm looking for a church that I can learn to be more about Christ. Ah, but this crowd, they had turned the religion around and they'd made it all about them. No sacrifice, no commitment to God, no commitment to anything. It was okay to be cruel to Christ, but oh, I want to be seen as clean and holy as I observe the Sabbath day. My dear friend, this hypocritical rationale makes one's theology so ludicrous and it turns religion into superstition that never has or never will change a life for the better. It does nothing but cloak evil with a religious coat to deceive and beguile and defile and it's nothing more than a game that's being played in church today and a game that's being played in religion and a game that's being that's being played in politics, and it's and and that's where we live today. We live in those last days of deceiving and being deceived. All these activities they're putting people through, just going through the activities of actions and making people feel better. I'm glad that I serve a God that does more than just make me feel better, but I serve a God that I can go to in the morning and he hears my prayer and he hears my cry and he answers my prayer. I'm glad that I have a living God. I want to add now, historians tell us that Romans did not remove bodies from the cross. They didn't remove them for several days. And I read from a historian that says, and I quote, the Romans commonly left the bodies of the condemned on the cross. They became the prey of wild beasts or of disillusion. They had another reason for leaving the bodies on the cross. You remember who they crucified. They crucified the robbers and the thieves and the murderers like the one in the story of the good Samaritan of the man that was robbed on the Jericho Road. And they would leave them up there because they wanted their corpses to be a warning to others. This is what's going to happen to you if you become a thief and a robber. But Pilate plays politics by yielding to the Jews. Now it's interesting. When they ask Pilate, change the sign so it reads, he claims to be the king of the Jews, but don't put on there that he's the king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. Why does Pilate go along with them this time? I'll tell you why. Because of political favor. It's just like what happens in our world today. Uh, though the Roman law and practice was against removing the bodies, you have to understand, this is smart political action. After all, there's a great religious festival going on in Jerusalem with a huge crowd, and Pilate didn't want to upset the crowd. He didn't mind to make those chief priests mad with that sign but he didn't want to make everybody mad because if they came to the Passover and they saw those bodies there would defile their Passover. So Pilate, not caring one thing about the law, not caring one thing about the Jews, but caring about one thing, Pilate. Pilate, that's who he cared about. He cared about Pilate. 
He wanted to keep his job and they'd put pressure on him before and said, if you don't crucify him, we'll tell folks that you didn't support the Roman government and you'll lose your job. And here, it's political expediency. My dear friend, one day this whole world is going to face a judgment of this book right here and they're going to wish they hadn't listened to the crowds no matter how big they are, no matter how strong they are, they'll wish they'd listened to the truth of the Word of God. Now it's quite interesting if you'll take your Bibles and go back to John 19 and go to verse number 32. The Bible says, Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first. And of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already. By the way, here's another testimony that Christ was dead. He was not in a coma. He had not fainted. The soldiers, those who knew what they were doing at crucifixion, when they saw that he was dead... They break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith there uh, came there out blood and water. Now this is very interesting to see. You know what the psalmist said in Psalm 34, 20? He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Do you understand when they gave that little lamb as a sacrifice? They did it over and over and over again as a picture of the coming Christ. They had instruction like is recorded in Exodus 12. The Bible says when they, when they prepared the lamb, they said, Neither shall ye break a bone thereof. Numbers chapter 9, verse number 12, they shall not break any bone of it. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. So they were very careful through all of those years of making those sacrifices that when they prepared that lamb and when they would kill it and spill the blood and they would prepare that lamb for the sacrifice, they didn't break the bones of the lambs. Isn't it interesting? They come to this very event and these Jews, they said, we got to get these folks off of here now, Passover. All these people are coming into town and we got to keep the Passover feast. We got to worship God. We want everybody to know that we've never break the law of God. Just break their legs so they go ahead and die. We'll get them out of the way. We don't want them up there. So the soldiers, Pilate gave them instruction. I don't know what they broke them with. Evidently some kind of a club. And can you imagine the blow that it would take to break the legs of someone on a cross? And they take the club and they break the legs of the first one. They break the legs of the one on the other side. But a Roman soldier said, this one's already dead. Jesus is already dead. No need to break his legs. So he takes a spear. And puts it in his side. Having no idea, he's fulfilling every single detail of prophecy. It is inspiring. It is encouraging. It is comforting to see how God caused the fulfillment of every prophecy.
prophecy to take place when all human and uh, human reasoning and circumstances these should have never been fulfilled. You imagine how worried we'd have been if we'd have heard them say, "Go break his legs." Oh no, what are we going to do? They're reporting on the news 24/7. They're going to break their legs. Oh no, prophecy is not going to be fulfilled. We're in trouble. Uh, why? God's not worried about that. There's no need for me to be worried tonight. What I need to be doing is getting the bride ready. Jesus is coming. What I need to be doing is living right and living clean and living in a way that's pleasing to God so I'm not ashamed at His coming. Now it's interesting. In order for the prophecy to be fulfilled about the bones not being broken, the soldiers had to disobey an order from Pilate. Roman soldiers did not disobey orders casually. But God was in control and there wasn't a power on earth that could break a bone of the body of Christ. Further, the piercing of Christ was not the result of an order, but the result of the whim of a soldier. So in order for the scripture to be fulfilled, the soldiers did not do what they, or, what they were ordered to do, but they did do what they were not ordered to do. You just come to think when you study this whole book, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, that the one who stepped out on the day of creation and created this whole world is still in control of all things. I'm glad I serve that wonderful and great king. How good it is to see. Notice the testimony of the people at the crucifixion. I want you to take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 26. Now, Acts chapter 26, this is the Apostle Paul. This is not a long time after the crucifixion of Christ. And so now we have witnesses going everywhere telling about what they had seen and what they had been a part of at the crucifixion. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is before Felix and he is defending himself uh, before Felix. We're going to begin in verse number 22. Having therefore obtained help of God, I, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. This is Paul's testimony. This is Paul's sermons. And as he thus spake for himself, Felix said with a loud voice, Paul, he's yelling at him. He says with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I'm not mad or not crazy. That word mad here is not angry, it's mental, it's crazy. He said, I am not bad, mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. God give us men today that will just speak what's truth and what's right. God give us folks that are witness for Christ. And it doesn't matter about religion. What matters is the truth of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 26, for the king knoweth of these things before whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. Notice this phrase. For this thing was not done in a corner. They didn't crucify Jesus in private. You know what, you know what he's saying here? He said they crucified Jesus for all the world to see it. Wasn't done in a corner. Verse 27. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, 
Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. The testimony of the people from the crucifixion, we see Paul. Let's notice the testimony of a soldier. This is interesting. Take your Bibles go to Matthew 27. Now this is that transition period between the time that Christ is dead. They've not taken his body from the tree. Uh, there have been three hours of darkness that have come and gone. It's light again. Don't forget the miracles. You remember when they crucified Jesus at noon, uh, at, the, at the brightest of the day, uh, it gets dark. There's total darkness over the land. Three hours later, he's dead. They come and they say, let's break the leg. Let's hurry up and get them off. We got a, cel we got a, a celebration uh, to go to. And now uh, we have a testimony in that transition time. Uh, Matthew 27. I started preaching and forgot where I was turning to. Matthew 27, uh, verse number 54. Notice what he says here. Now when the centurion, now what's a centurion? Uh, that is a captain of Roman soldiers. Uh, typically he would have a hundred uh, in his command. And they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquakes and those things that were done. They feared greatly saying, truly this was the Son of God. You know what's interesting to me? Christ had led centurions to faith in him. You remember the story in Luke chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 8 where a centurion came to him for the healing of his servant and Jesus said, go your way. Uh, also, there's a Cornelius recorded in Acts chapter 10, a centurion that was receptive to the gospel. Later, Paul gave testimony by the centurions that treated him kindly and treated him well in Acts 22 and Acts 26 and Acts 27 and Acts 28. May I say faith is sometimes found in the most unexpected places. Here's the application. Witness to everybody. You don't know who's going to trust Christ as Savior. Well, I can't witness to that centurion. He just oversaw the crucifixion. He would never believe. Oh, friend, he saw firsthand Jesus giving his life. You never know what folks have been through. Don't look at somebody and judge whether they'll hear and receive and believe. Let's give the gospel to everyone. There were many centurions, many centurions that trusted Christ as Savior. Now, I love this. Go back to John 19. The testimony of John himself, and that's what verse 35 is about. And he that saw it, the crucifixion of Christ, bear record, and his record is true. Now this is John giving testimony. And he knoweth that he saith truth that ye might believe. Now the words bear record is that translated word that we get the word martyr or the word witness. John saw it. He bare witness. The fact that we get the word martyr indicates the cost of being a witness. John paid a price for being a testimony of Jesus Christ and was sent to the Isle of Patmos. And John said in Revelation 1-9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation 
And in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. May I say, I want to be counted in the number that says, I believe Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for my justification. I never want there to be any shame in being associated with the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. Let me mention quickly the women at the crucifixion. I'll read Matthew 27, 55. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's children. The three synoptic gospels report the fact that these women were at the crucifixion. I just want to make note, and I want to say publicly, as the Bible does, the Bible gives testimony of the faith of these women stronger than Pilate, more strength than Pilate himself. Pilate didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. He wanted everybody. He, 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 he washed his hands publicly so he could, they could say he was clean. These women, they were not ashamed to be identified with Christ. Ladies, let me tell you something. The high day in America is when mama was the number one teacher in all the world. And there was no classroom greater than the classroom of the living room of a godly mother who taught her children to have faith in God. And I'd rather have children that believe that Jesus is the Christ, that believe that God is the creator, that believe that Jesus is the coming judge and king of the world, than for them to have the education of the world and deny the Son of God. All the education in the world wouldn't matter. I would want my children, we would want our children to have a mother like these women that are mentioned at the crucifixion with faith in Christ. Oh, how we need a revival of the Christian home. How we need a revival of mothers being Christian and godly mothers we don't need the world in our homes. We don't need the dress and the behavior and the activity of the heathen in our children. Don't you be ashamed that your children look like Christians and act like Christians and you fight. I'm going to preach until you say amen. And you fight and you fight to make sure that they know Jesus is the Savior of the world. Then there's a report of the observers. This is interesting to me. If you'll take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. You children that have a godly mother, you should never, ever disrespect a good and a godly mother. You should never respect your mother, disrespect your mother at all, but you ought to be thankful for a good and a godly mother. Luke 23, 47 Luke 23, 47. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God saying, 
Can you hear this testimony in the silence? It's been dark for three hours. The terrain has changed because of the earthquake. Whispering is going on because something strange happened at the temple. The curtain has been rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Is a centurion barking out orders to the guards? I hear him say, certainly. This was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site. Now, these are the folks that come after the event is over. He's on the cross. The deed is done. He is dead. The legs are broken of the others. Soon they'll take the bodies down. There's a group of people that come together to that site. And they're beholding the things which were done. The Bible says they smote their breast. Look at me. You know what they did? They went... It was a sign of saying, oh me. It was a sign of repentance. They saw it. Oh, how America needs to be sobered today. How we need to go back to the foot of Calvary and see Christ, the blessed Son of God, hanging between heaven and earth. They didn't take his life. They couldn't take his life. When they tried, they couldn't. And when they came, his life was already gone. He gave his life. The Bible said they smote themselves on the breast. Then notice this. And returned. Make note of the word returned. Now verse 49. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. Returned. Where'd they return to? Who was it that's there? Oh, they've come from all over the world. They've come for the Passover. They've come for the celebration of the Passover. Everybody was scurrying around making sure the party, the religious festivity, everything was in place. But in the midst of the Passover, they're having this crucifixion. And it just so happened to be that it was the time they chose to crucify this imposter they called him ah but it was Jesus and there was a crowd friend that when they returned they returned different than they came I'm glad for that day as a five year old boy I went to Calvary and when I returned to my seat I was different aren't you glad for the day that you went to Calvary and your life was changed from the inside out. As a songwriter said, I was once a sinner, but I came. Pardon to receive from my Lord. What about the song that says, a new name written down in glory and it's mine. I don't ever want to be the same after being at Calvary. Stand with me if you will.